Hi, welcome to the Haven Youth Church Podcast. We want to thank you for tuning in today. We hope this message encourages you and empowers you to be all God created you to be. We love you. Welcome to the family. All right, I am happy to be here with you guys tonight. Man, I can hardly see you guys with the light. It means I'm just going to be looking out into the crowd. But um, I'm excited to be here with you tonight. I don't know if it is recorded, so I don't know if Pastor Matt will see it. He's not here with us tonight. Oh, is it? Okay, great. So I am so thankful that Pastor Matt entrusted me with the opportunity to be here with you guys tonight. Um, I attended Haven a couple months back and then um, again a couple weeks ago and then had a chance to get coffee with Pastor Matt. And I'll tell you, just kindred spirits. I had an opportunity to see his heart is on fire. And I know that a lot of you guys in this room, having sat under his ministry, that your heart is on fire as well. And so I'm really excited to bring this word tonight, not only because it's, a, not only because it's burning in my spirit, but because I know that there are hearts in this room, that the ground has been laid, the ground has been plowed, and you guys are ready to receive. Are you guys ready to receive tonight? Let's, let's open up in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for your spirit. God, I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross and that he rose again and he rose in power. Father, to set the captives free, to heal the sick. Lord, to save our souls. God, right now, I pray that your spirit would come and invade this place. Father, continue to do the work in the hearts of everyone here that you've already started. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that as we lift your name high, you would draw all men unto yourself. We worship you and we glorify you and we lift your name high because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my sermon tonight is, Who Are You? Before we jump in, I'm going to share a little bit about who I am and what I do. Like we said, my name is Evangelist Ryan Young. In 2015, God transformed and changed my life. I was, as people say, I cut my teeth on the church pew, meaning I was in church two, two or three times a week, every week, the entire time growing up. Ever since I was a little boy, I received every prophet, evangelist, apostle. If they came in, they saw me, they prayed over me, and said that I, was call, I had a calling on my life, that I was anointed, but I fought it and had nothing to do with it. I didn't want to have anything to do with it all growing up. Not, through my, not when I was a kid, not when I was a teenager, not when I was a young man. I'm 32 now, but in 2005, God changed my life. I was serving in youth ministry leading up to then. I was serving in the church, serving in kids' ministry. But all the while, I was continuing to do what I wanted to do. I was continuing to live in sin. I was continuing to live unrepentant, unchanged. I was living how I wanted to. And in 2000, 2015, I may have said 2005. In 2015, God changed my life. I had an encounter in my car on Vine Street in Cincinnati. And my life was forever changed. And I told him, I will go wherever you tell me to go. And I will do whatever you tell me to do. From that point forward, I've had an opportunity to see God pour out his spirit. I have had an opportunity to see the words of this book jump off the page. I've had an opportunity to see blind eyes open, to see deaf ears open, to see the lame walk. I have seen tumors disappear off people's necks. I have seen legs grow. I have seen the demons possessed set free. If you have read it in this word of God, I have seen it with my own two eyes. In the last seven years, it says, <clears throat> the word says, redeem the time for the days are evil. And in, 2000, in 2015, I did not think, I said, well, what could God possibly do? I've wasted so many years living the way I wanted to live. I was 25. But in the last seven years, I have seen God pour out his spirit. I have seen him show me signs and wonders. I have seen God do the very things that he said he would do. 
for years, I, for years, I worked in higher education for about 10 years. And in February of this year, I stepped out of that and stepped into full-time evangelism. And God promised me, when I asked him, what should I do? He said, I want you to tell the church of Jesus Christ, and I want you to tell the world about the power and majesty of Jesus Christ. That's what he called me to do, and so that's what I'm going to do here tonight, is I'm going to tell you about the power and the majesty of Jesus. So what I like to do before I start every message is I like to share a few testimonies and encounters and things that I've seen God do. Number one, because it glorifies God. Number two, because it's going to build faith in your heart tonight. It's going to build faith, and it's going to cause an expectation in your heart that if God did it for those people, he will absolutely do it for you. I've seen all over, so I've, I've traveled all over the world. I've been to several different continents, been a part of crusades where I've seen tens of thousands of people attend, thousands receive Christ. I've seen hundreds healed, but I'm going to share with you just a few that are just really impactful to me that I've had an opportunity to see. I was in, I was in El Salvador several years ago. We had an altar call. There were thousands of people that had come forward to receive salvation. There was a little boy that was standing probably about 30 yards from me in the crowd, and his whole family started screaming. He was probably seven or eight years old, and I took my interpreter, and I sent her back. I said, I need you to go in there and find out what they're screaming about. So she climbs back through there. She comes back to me with eyes wide, and she says, they said he came in here blind, and he can see now. The little boy, he came in. Nobody laid hands on him. Nobody touched him, but because God loves, and he wants to heal, and he wants to redeem and restore, that is who he is, and that's what he did. He healed that little boy. When they brought him up on stage, they said, what happened? And he didn't quite know how to even express. All he said was, and he said it twice, he said, I have faith. I have faith. That's why he was healed is because God loves him and he had faith that he could do it. Even at seven or eight years old. I have a lot more stories I could tell about things that have happened overseas. But I actually want to share about what happened just five, just four days ago on Sunday morning. I preached a message about the God who heals. And I had an opportunity. We had almost the entire church come forward for a, for a, a, a healing line. And as we, got, as we were praying through people in the beginning, we saw you know, a young man healed. He was going to have to have shoulder surgery, and he couldn't move his arm above here. By the time he was done, he was touching the middle of his back, touching his lower back, had full range of motion of his shoulder. And the room started to open up because people saw a God who heals. We continued going on. And I want you to go ahead and throw that picture up there for me in the back if you can. But this is a woman, this was about the middle of the way through the line, and you will see the excitement on her face. This was a woman who was deaf in one ear. And that's the look on her face after I snapped my fingers next to her ear when she realized that she could hear again. Her, her, her hearing had been gone for years, but God healed her there. And as we went down through the line, faith and expect, expectation began to build, and more people were healed, more people were touched, more people were set free. When we got near the end of the line, there was a young woman. She was a senior in high school, so about the age of some of you in here. She had a Division I scholarship for lacrosse. She had injured her back, and she was worried she was going to have to medically retire and lose her scholarship. We laid hands on her. We prayed the prayer of faith. We believed, and her back was healed, and she was touched and set free, and she fell to the ground weeping because of the power of God and what he had done. That is the God that we serve. But we're living in a world right now, it says in Romans, it says that creation is waiting eagerly for the longing of the revelation of the sons of God. 
We're living in a day and age where we see the world around us. We see it crumbling. We see immorality. We see, we see the works of the devil. We see the, the works of darkness that are prevalent and are rising in our schools, and our economy, in our, in our politics, in our nation. We see it everywhere around us. And we're living in a day and age where all of creation is groaning because they need to see the sons of God revealed to eternity, to everyone. They need to see it revealed to all of creation. Because then and only then, when we allow ourselves to be revealed as the sons of God and we walk in the demonstration of the power and majesty of Jesus Christ, then and only then are we going to begin to see our world change. See, it says authority, the definition of authority is this. It says the power or right to give orders, to make decisions, and to enforce obedience. See, God is wanting to give each and every one of you authority over the power of darkness. In this room tonight, if you're struggling with something, with sickness, with disease, with sin, with bondage, it doesn't matter what it is. In this room, there is authority over every power of darkness that is trying to attack your life, no matter what it looks like. After this message tonight, we are going to have an altar call, and I believe that there is going to be a demonstration of God's power here at the altar tonight. And if you are in need of anything, God can do it, and he will do it. If you're in need of healing, he'll heal you. If you're in need to be set free from the bondage of sin, he'll set you free. If your mind is trapped and you're in mental bondage and depression and anxiety and fear, he'll set you free from that too. But not only that, he's going to fill you and empower you to do the same. But in order to get there, you have to walk in true and real obedience and to walk in true and real authority. So what I'm going to share with you tonight is I'm going to share with you about some men who didn't walk in authority. I'm going to share with you about some men who did. Before I preach, I want to set the scene for you. We're going to be reading out of Acts chapter 19. But we're going to be reading about the city of Ephesus. For those of you who don't know, I'm going to share a little bit about the city of Ephesus so we kind of set the scene for what we're dealing with. The city of Ephesus was the second largest Roman city. It was part of Asia Minor. It was a port city, meaning this. It was surrounded by water. That means we had boats coming in from different areas. Unfortunately, back then, they didn't have planes and semis and trucks and everything else to deliver their goods. So everything got delivered by boat. But as a consequence of this, when all these boats are coming in, all these people are coming in, they're coming from different regions, different countries, different belief systems, different religions, different idols. And so this city becomes a gigantic conglomerate of idolatry, of immorality, of different gods. It becomes a conglomerate of sin is what it does. And all these port cities that were like this, that is what they became. And so that's what we're dealing with. Ephesus in general was known for its immorality, known for its mysticism, known for its false religions, known for its sorcery. And it was known as being, it had one of the ancient wonders of the world, which was the temple of Artemis. Artemis was the Roman god that they worshipped. So that is setting the scene for what we're dealing with. So if you are joining with me, if you have, how many of you have a Bible with you tonight? I'll even count a phone. Raise your phone if you've got a Bible on your phone. If you don't, we've got big problems. We'll get you delivered afterwards to get that Bible app on your phone. So if you're with me tonight, say I'm there. All right, three of you, let's go. All right, Acts chapter 19, verse 11. And it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. 
that some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, so traveling Jewish exorcists, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. This is where it gets funny. This is one of the funniest passages in Scripture. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So he stripped them naked and he beat them. Imagine you go to cast a demon out and they strip you naked and they beat you. I'll be honest, it would be pretty humbling. I don't know about you. And it says, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both the Jews and the Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, which would be worth several million dollars today. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. See, the enemy recognizes real authority. See, we read the story. These men go in there. These sons of Sceva, they were Jewish priests. They were not believers in Jesus Christ. But they saw that the things that Paul was doing, they saw that there was great power in it. They saw that he would cut off pieces of his apron when he couldn't go places. He was a tent maker. He would cut off pieces of his apron, send it, and people would be healed just by touching the apron. They would be set free from demon spirits just by touching the apron. And so these people saw this power, and as you can imagine, they said, well, we want a piece of that. We want to operate in that too. So it says they went around exercising demons. I'm going to go ahead and take a guess. They probably hadn't encountered one yet. And then when they finally did encounter one, what did it do? It stripped them naked and it beat them. Why? It's because they went on someone else's authority. It says they command you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Not the Jesus they knew, not the Jesus they had encountered themselves, not the Jesus they had relationship with, but the Jesus whom Paul proclaimed. See, when the woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment because he had authority, just the touching of his garment caused her to be set free from the issue of blood. When Peter walked down the road, it says that people would line them up along the streets in the hopes that even his shadow would touch them because the authority of Jesus Christ, because he knew him, because it rested on him, that whenever his shadow would even touch them, they would be healed and they would be set free from the power of demons. And we've already read this, but Paul, when he cut off pieces of his apron, he wasn't even there to lay hands on them. But because he walked in authority, the authority that he carried set people free. Now, these Jewish priests, they're going there, they're laying hands, and they're getting stripped and beaten, but the men of God don't even have to touch them, and they're getting set free because they have real, true authority. See, when real authority enters the room, the spiritual atmosphere begins to change, and the powers of darkness begin to bow. That's what happens when real authority enters the room. When you come in false authority, if you come in the authority of your pastor, it's not going to work. If you come in the authority of a TV preacher you watched on YouTube, it's not going to work. If you come in the authority of your mom and your dad, it's not going to work. 
If you come in the authority of your Bible-believing grandmother, it's not going to work. If you, come, if you come in the authority of a degree or if you come in the authority of just some knowledge you've built up, it's not going to work. Because I promise you this, when you come face-to-face with the powers of darkness, there's no three-point sermon. There's nothing you watched on YouTube. There's nothing my grandmother told me, even though she was a Bible-believing prophet. None of those things mattered when I came face-to-face with the powers of darkness. The only thing was that mattered was, was I in relationship and was I abiding in Jesus Christ because that was the only thing that gave me real authority. When you look at the face of someone who is full of demons, guess what? When they get up off the ground and growl at you in your face, which I've had happen, the only thing that's going to get you prepared to handle that is a relationship with Jesus. When you pray for someone who is sitting in a wheelchair, my very first crusade I went on, I was standing in the front and I looked over and there was a whole, there were two or three lines of people in wheelchairs. And I thought, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? And I told the guy who I traveled with, I said, well, I didn't expect to see that many people in wheelchairs. And he's like, what do you think we were praying for? Headaches? Colds? No, we're praying for people to get set free from sickness and disease and the power of death. This is serious. You better come in here ready. When we get in here tonight, you better be ready to pray. You better be ready to confront the enemy. But it only comes when you have real authority. But real authority is connected to the vine. Not connected to your church on Sunday. Not connected to your church on Wednesday. Not connected on Thursday Night Haven. Not connected to a YouTube preacher you watch. Not connected to Maverick City Music. Real authority is connected to the vine. It's connected to God himself. It's connected to Jesus and his death and resurrection on the cross. That is where true and real authority is found. See, it says in Luke chapter 10. Now, we've read about, we've read about some men that, that, encountered, that encountered the powers of darkness and they didn't have authority. But now we're going to read about a few men who encountered it when they did. See, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus has sent out 72 disciples, and it says in Luke chapter 10, it says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to cover, overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. These were men who had authority. See, the thing is, their authority, it came from the vine. Their authority came from abiding in Jesus Christ because they realized when he said in John, he said, listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'll tell you, I could get up here and preach. I can be a great orator. I can come up here and give. Paul said, I don't come in wise and persuasive words, but I come with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I can come up here with all the knowledge in the world, all the preparation. I can study every great orator and every great speaker that's alive today and come up and deliver you a very well-sounding, a really good-sounding, a really well-versed word. But if there's no authority behind it, there's no power. The reason we see the world crumbling, crumbling around us is because people have gotten away from real authority, so they're afraid to demonstrate God's power because they know if they go pray for the sick, if they know if they go try to cast out devils, if they try and get people set free from the power of sin, they know that Jesus is not walking behind them because they're not walking with him. When you're walking with Jesus, you have confidence that when you encounter the power of darkness, that you know that he's going to walk with you, and there's going to be a demonstration of his power, and that there is nothing that is going to stop you. 
But you have to be connected to the vine. It says in Ephesians that Jesus wants to open the eyes of your understanding to the great power that is working in you. It says that he can do more than we can think or even imagine by the power that works in us. Why does this matter then? Why does it matter that we walk in authority? Why does it matter that we're connected to the vine? Why does it matter that we don't have a shallow, simple relationship with Jesus, but we're radically in love with him? That all our power, all our authority is derived from him. Why does it matter? It's because that's where real revival comes from. Revival comes from real authority. When I talk about revival, I'm not talking about we had a three-day service and it was full of a bunch of church people and maybe a few people got some goosebumps and then it was over. That's not revival. We look at revival, and I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of my notes, but I don't care. We'll, we'll reference it when we get there. We look at real revival, you, and I have several men who I'm going to mention. One is Evan Roberts. You look at the Welsh revival. When the Welsh revival, when it swept across Wales, it was 70 to 90% of all the bars across the country closed down, and many of them became churches. That is revival. It's not just goosebumps. But it's change. We look at John G. Lake. He was an incredible healing evangelist from the early 1900s. He opened some healing rooms in Washington. The city that he opened the healing rooms in, it became per capita the healthiest city in the entire United States. Because of the healing rooms that he planted, it was having far-reaching impact on culture and everything around it. But he walked in authority. There's a story I read that he went and he was in Africa and there was a plague that was spreading across the country and people were even afraid. People were dying at such a rapid rate and no one would bury them because they were afraid of contracting the plague. He said, I'll bury them for you. They said, you're going to bury them for us? He said, yes. He said, he said, the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in me, there's not a plague that can touch me. He said, in fact, I'll go a step further. He said, I will let you put a sample of the, leg scraped, of the plague scraped out of someone's lungs. I will let you put it on my hand and then look at it under a microscope, and it will have shriveled up and died. Coming out of a pandemic, that sounds like the faith that we need. That sounds like the authority that we need. We look at William Seymour. William Seymour was the leader of the Azusa Street Revival. It brought charismatic renewal across the entire United States and ultimately across the world. If you're in a Pentecostal church today, he's partly, he's the one that, he's one of the ones that we can thank for that because he brought charismatic and Pentecostal renewal and he helped usher in the new moving of the Holy Spirit. But he had faith. This was a black man who people were prejudiced against in the early 1900s. How readily accepted do you think that he was? But he had to step in faith because he knew the power of the Holy Spirit that resided in him. Those spirits of racism and of hatred, he knew they didn't stand a chance. The Azusa Street Revival was one of the very first. It was, it was, <clears throat> it was a multi-ethnic and multiracial in a time when there wasn't multi-ethnic and multiracial services. Heck, in the 1950s, in the 1950s, there were still evangelists being beaten, and try, people were trying to kill them for having biracial services in the 50s. And this was the early 1900s. Can you imagine what it was like before 50 years of progress? But he had faith because he knew who he was. He knew where his power came from. He knew where his authority came from. 
But see, the problem is today is that we have too many sons of Sceva, but we don't have enough Pauls. We have too many people that want power, but they, <laughs> they don't want to go to the place they got to go to get it. See, we read in this, it says that the people started giving up their magic. They started confessing their practices. They started giving up sorcery. They started taking their books that were worth millions of dollars and saying, listen, this made me money, and I know I was operating in witchcraft, but it's not worth it because I've seen what real power looks like. See, some of you in this room today, and I know I'm victim to it as well, I look at the state of our world. I look at the immorality. I look at the different sorcery and the different sources of power people are going to. They're going to crystals. They're going to, to manifestation. I'm going to manifest something, and I see it in my heart. It grows weary because I say, oh, my gosh. But then I realize when I read this, guess what? God's not surprised by it. He's seen it before. He's encountered it before. He encountered immorality. He encountered sorcery. He encountered magic. He encountered all these powers of darkness. And guess what? He won. He did it then, and he'll do it today. But the reason that he did it then is because he had people who said, I'm willing to connect myself to the vine. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to walk in Holy Spirit power. I'm going to walk connected to him, and I'm going to walk in authority, and there's no power in hell that is going to stop me. He's not surprised by the world that we live in today, folks. I think we are because we think he's surprised by it, but he's not. See, authority comes at a high price, and that's why many of us don't seek it. Now, there have been people throughout history that have sought power, but they wanted a, an easy way to get there. See, the sons of Sceva, they wanted all the power, but they wanted none of the cost. See, people always want cheap authority. The sons of Sceva, Simon the sorcerer. See, when Simon the sorcerer saw people operating in, operating in Holy Spirit power, he was one that had done tricks and he had done magic and he said, hey, listen, I want some of that. So when I share stories and you see people up on the screen and I share with them about when their ear opens up or I share about people whose eyes opened up or the lame walk or different things, it's exciting. I remember when I first started pursuing that, I did it only because I thought it was cool. I did, that was my main motivation. But now I realize that when we walk in real power and we demonstrate the power of God, not only are people getting healed, not only are people getting set free, not only are people being free of demonic power and oppression, but it tells everyone else around us, it tells the world that's operating in immorality, that's operating in witchcraft, that's operating in sorcery, it tells everyone else, yes, you may have power, but guess what? We serve the one true king and he is all powerful. I encountered a witch one time at Miami University, and she told me about all her spells. And I said, what a coincidence. I operate in supernatural power, too. And she said, no way. What kind? And I said, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. She said, oh, you're a Pentecostal. <laughs> and I said, yes, I am. And she told me, she said, we have witches playing in every Pentecostal church in the area, and they don't even know. The enemy is working, and it's high time that we unite ourselves with the Holy Spirit. We get a hold of the vine. We don't let go. We walk in real authority, and we show to the world, and we show to everyone else just how powerful our God is. It's high time that we don't lay down and die to the world anymore. Because I'll tell you, when I read this book, I told you before, and I'll say it again, he's not surprised by what we're living in. 
But it's going to come when we have a people who are willing to lay down their life for the cause of Christ. See, the disciples, whenever he called them, he didn't say, listen, if you come, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you promised fame. I'm going to give you future. I'm going to make you a celebrity preacher. I'm going to give you money. I'm going to bless you. He didn't promise any of that. What they got instead is, yes, they got power, but the ones who got power, they paid a price. Yes, Peter, when he walked down that road, people were healed by a shadow, but he was also crucified upside down. Paul, yes, he sent pieces of his handkerchief, and people were healed and touched, but he was, he, he was martyred for his faith in Rome. Jesus, yes, he walked in great power. He healed everyone he encountered. He, rose, he raised the dead. He set people who were demon-possessed free. But they crucified him on a cross. There is great sacrifice for great authority. See, I talked about those men. And I'm, I'm, I'm at that point in my notes. I'm talking about William Seymour, John G. Lake. They paid a price. See, we read about these men of old. We read about, I don't know how many of you heard about the Brown Revival? Okay, so a lot of you. But if you read revival history, and luckily I know that Pastor Matt reads revival history and talking to him, he loves it. Do you read revival history? You read about men who laid down their life, women who laid down their life because they wanted to see God change a city, because they wanted to see God change a state, God change a country, God change a community. They wanted to see God change the world. But in order to get there, they had to lay down their life. That's what it takes to get real and true and lasting authority. As the worship team comes back up here tonight, I want to ask you some questions. See, whenever they encountered that demon, what he said, he said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? See, when Jesus landed, when he landed on the, the Isle of Gerdea and he encountered the man-man from Gerdea, what happened is Jesus didn't have to go find him. He came up to him, and he said, you're Jesus, the Son of God. Why did you come to mess with me before the time that you're supposed to, before the appointed time? He said, listen, if you're going to cast me out, put me in the pigs at least. Jesus didn't go hunt him down, but when Jesus showed up on the scene, because he was the Son of God, he carried the Spirit of God, the spiritual atmosphere began to change and to stir and to move, and the powers of darkness that resided on that land they knew that something was changing. When you walk in real authority, when you start to walk into an area that has powers of darkness, where the sick are at, where people who are demon-possessed, people who are bound up in sin or bound up in a mental health crisis, bound up in depression and anxiety and fear, when you carry authority that comes from being connected to the vine, when you begin to walk on the scene, I believe that the heavenly start to churn. I believe that the realm of the spirit begins to churn and to move. And the enemy says, hey, listen, something's changing. Something's different. Why do you think that when Moses was born, why do you think that he, he had Pharaoh kill all the baby boys? Because he knew something was coming. He knew that, the, that a deliverer was about to be born on the scene. Whenever Jesus was born, why did the king kill all the baby boys? Why? Because he knew that something was coming on the scene. Satan put that in his heart. Listen, this is what you need to do. Because Satan knew something was coming. And he was scared. It says that even the demons know the name of God and they tremble. And I share all this with you tonight. 
It's because I believe that you guys, I believe that everyone in this room, God has called to walk in authority. That he's called you to walk in power. That he's called you to walk and to raise the dead and to heal the sick and to cleanse the leper. He has called each and every one of you to walk in that great commission. There is no junior Holy Spirit. There is no junior call. There is no junior relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no junior commission. He has called you to walk in this. But here's the reality. It comes when you ground yourself in authority. You can have the best social media presence. You can have Jesus lover in the title on your Instagram. You can do the best TikToks talking, TikToks talking about Jesus. You can do all these things. But unless you're willing to walk in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing is going to change. Because just like those people that were saying, listen, after we saw what real power looks like, here's our tomb, here's our tomes, here's our magical instruments, here's all those things. We're going to confess our sin. What happened? They encountered real power. But when those men came and they said, listen, we're going we're gonna to claim that Jesus that Paul proclaims, nothing happened. But I believe for you guys, I believe he's called you to lay hands on the sick and watch him recover. I believe he's called you to do every work that, that that Bible talks about. If it's in there, he's called you to live it and to do it. I believe in this age and this day, he's looking for people that will lay down their life. So here's my question. When you confront the enemy about people who in your life, your friends, your family, who are unsaved, is he going to say, who are you? When you confront the enemy about sickness and disease, when you pray for the sick, is he going to look in your face and is he going to say, who are you? When you confront someone who's dealing with demonic possession and you go to lay hands on him and pray for him and cast the devil out, is he going to look at you and is he going to say, who are you? When you go to talk to someone and to pray for them because they're dealing with depression and anxiety and fear and they're bound up, is he going to look at you and say, who are you? When you talk to someone and they're bound up in their sin and they can't seem to get set free and you start to pray freedom over them, is he going to look at you and say, who are you? See, because as long as you don't know who you are, <laughs> you're going to get stripped naked, beat, and sent out of the house. But when you walk in that authority, oh boy, oh boy, things begin to change. Things begin to change. People begin to set free. Your schools will get saved. Your family will get saved. You'll see the sick healed. I'll tell you, and I showed that picture earlier, that comes from years of finally figuring. It took me years to figure out what it truly looked like to grab hold of that authority and not let go. See, used to when I prayed for the sick or I prayed for someone who was filled with the demon or I prayed for someone to get set free, it was like playing the lottery. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. We'll see. I hope something happens. But now when I lay hold of someone, there is no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt in my heart. There's no gray area. There's no maybe. I believe that when the presence and the power of God is in the room, I believe that when we lay hands on someone, I believe that when we rebuke the power of darkness, I believe that he flees, and I believe that God comes in with a mighty touch to set them free. But it only comes from knowing where real authority comes from and walking in it. 
Thanks for listening. If this message blessed you in any way, please consider subscribing and sharing this podcast with someone. You can follow us on social media at Haven Youth Church. We love you, fam. The best is yet to come.